0: Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Friday, December 16th. Welcome to the show. A special edition of So Money today. So Ask Farnoosh on So Money. We have a guest. You know him. If you listen to the show, you are very familiar with who I'm about to introduce our guest today, helping me with some questions from you, as well as a topic that is very timely. You know, A lot of us are going to be spending money this month, and it's a, unfortunately, hot time for fraudsters. To take advantage of our uh, financial identity, whether we're shopping with credit cards, we're buying online. So to help us with all of this, I've invited on back on the show, Dr. Brad Klontz. And for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Brad Klontz, he is a financial psychologist. He is the co-founder of the Financial Psychology Institute, a, a partner of Occidental Asset Management and one of Chase's financial education partners. He's an associate professor of practice at Creighton University, Hyder College of Business. He's also a fellow of the American Psychological Association. He's authored five books on the psychology of money, including Mind Over Money, and he's been on a myriad number of TV shows from ABC to Good Morning America. He's been printed in the New York Times. He also helped me with my book, when She Makes More, he and I did a very interesting study together on female breadwinners. And so for without further ado, Brad Klontz, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Farnish. It's always a pleasure.
0: It's always a pleasure to have you on. I know. Where are you calling in from? Because I know you You hopscotch. you go from Hawaii to the States. Where Are you in Hawaii right now?
1: Yeah, I'm in Hawaii right now, the beautiful island of Kauai <laughs> that I call home.
0: I'm very jealous. I'm in the frigid uh, New York City. I think it's probably like 20 degrees out. You probably have never experienced that, have you? Unless you were uh, unfortunately somewhere on the East Coast this time of year.
1: Well, you know, I grew up in Detroit, and so oh. I, I, I know exactly what you're going okay.
0: through. Okay. So you empathize. All right. Well, Brad, again, thank you for being here. And as I mentioned at the top, we're going to. Because you are the resident financial psychologist, I, I wanted to pick some questions from listeners that had a little bit of an emotional uh, tone to them as so many financial questions are not just about dollars and cents and charts and graphs, but, you know, people are emotionally torn sometimes about what to do. And it just happens to be about a financial matter. And then we'll transition to some holiday questions regarding fraud. And just to let you all know, Dr. Brad and I are currently working on behalf of Chase to share our personal finance and fraud education expertise with you. So thanks to the folks at Chase for bringing us together and um, we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, Brad, we have a question here from Susan, and I picked her question because uh, it seems like there's a little bit of a, an issue she's dealing she's tackling with her brother. Her 22 year old younger brother, He just got a a job, a temporary position at a small financial firm in New York, and she's really insisting that he start saving some of his paycheck as a good older sister would. You know, let's start saving money, put a a portion of your paycheck away, automatically pay yourself first. She wants to persuade him to do this, but doesn't want to come off as that nagging older sister. What's the balance?
1: Right. So in a sense, uh, we need to train Susan on how to be a good financial psychologist, right? <laughs> yeah. um, because chances are her brother knows that he should be saving for the future. And that's actually the case for most of us. We know this, but it can be tough to do, especially when we're younger. And the temptation is to jump on board and, and tell your brother what he should do. Um, and it's okay to give advice. But when you notice resistance to that advice, that's where we make the mistake. And so I think it's actually a much better approach to ask him what his thoughts are about investing and what he thinks he should do related to that versus jumping in with what you think he should do. Because when you go at... So there's ambivalence around saving for the future. It's like there's part of you that wants to do it, part of you wants to enjoy today. And if you take the side in that conversation of saving, it's almost automatic that the other person is going to argue the benefits of not doing so. And so it's a, it's a little subtle psychology trick. Um, but it, it's actually been found to be very effective in all the research where you're going to, you're going to set up the question so that your brother will tell you about the benefits of saving. After that conversation, he's much more likely to go do it.
0: Right, because he also feels like, hey, I thought of a great idea, (laughs) and it's called saving for retirement, which is actually what you wanted him to do all along. Exactly, and he
1: already knows he should save for retirement. I guarantee that. I guarantee that he would be, oh, yeah, I know I should do it. And so if Susan comes in and says, hey, you really need to to do that, chances are he's going to say, yes, but these are all the reasons I don't want to do it. And so after that conversation, all the research shows that as he's telling you all the reasons not to save, he's less likely to save than if you had never talked to him to begin with.
0: Do you also recommend maybe as a strategy for Susan to talk about some of her failures, if she's had any or any regrets that she's had with regards to not saving sooner in her life? Do you think that's maybe a better way to also kind of frame the conversation so it's not just about you should do this, but hey, you know if there's one thing that I could go back, you're so lucky that you're young now. But with, when I was your age, here's one thing that I you know, didn't do. And um, just FYI, is that, is that helpful?
1: I think it's great to couch some of that information in a story because it's much harder to reject or resist the, You know, if I tell you my story. So I can pass along some information. Like if, if her goal is to really encourage him to save more, If I talk about myself and what happened to me or what's happened to a friend, it's harder to resist that information. That's why a lot of great teachers throughout history will use stories to present information because it makes people less resistant and more open to receiving it.
0: And also teachers bring in real life people, you know, they'll bring in guest speakers. And I think that's probably uh, all psychologically beneficial. Good advice. All right. Meg now wants to know, this is a really important question and I'm sure you've gotten um More and more of these questions—it's becoming more prevalent, I think, for spe- people, especially in like their 30s and 40s and 50s, who are taking care now of their aging parents. And so Meg wants to know what we recommend for managing elderly care expenses, along with other important life goals. So Meg, you know, she's in her early 30s, she's looking at her parents and their generation, and she's worried that they may not have a plan. For, you know, their finances as they retire and they age. So she's feeling like this is at some, she's seeing the handwriting on the wall. She's, she's thinking, you know, down the road, this is going to become a responsibility of mine to take care of my parents to some extent. So she wants to know, should she buy insurance on their behalf? How much should she put aside? Honestly, Brad, I feel like she needs to first have a conversation with her parents because it sounds like she's doing a lot of guesswork.
1: Exactly. And and I was going to say there was two elements as you were telling me, Meg's story. Um, having that conversation with your parents, you know, it's a tough conversation to have um, for many people. Any talk about money can be tough. <laughs> it's a taboo topic. It remains a taboo topic, but it's so important to have that conversation. You're not sure exactly what your parents may already have in place. Um, and having a conversation about what do you envision happening as you get older? Um, what, How how can we help you take care of, make sure your needs are taken care of, what's, what's in place? I mean, that's sort of one is that conversation. And then number two, and this is something that many of us neglect, whether it's our children that we love so dearly or our parents that we care so much about, um, is if we can make sure that we have a plan to become as financially healthy as possible ourselves. We're going to be in a much better position to help people later on if they need it.
0: So maybe she shouldn't buy the insurance yet and instead work on her own savings, paying off her own debt, if that is a concern.
1: Right. And, and actually, whether or not you should buy insurance is a much more complicated question that you need a lot more details from her parents around. Like maybe they don't financially need it. Maybe they have adequate um, you know, insurance in other areas through you know um, health insurance, et cetera. So it, it's really taking a close look at all that, but in order to do that, you have to have the conversation.
0: And sometimes parents don't want to reveal their financial information, though, Brad, because it's their kids after all. And I think sometimes parents, even if even in their sixties and seventies and older, look at their adult children as their kids and feel like money is just not an appropriate to- topic to, to to talk to them about. So how do you get over that hurdle? Yeah,
1: I think it's really about talking about your intentions. And I totally understand some parents don't want kids to know because well, and frankly, if some kids know um let's say higher network parents, some are very concerned about if I let my kids know how much, then they're not going to save themselves or they're not going to do what they need to do so there are there are, there are real valid reasons why people are uh, can be uncomfortable about talking about the details. but I think if Meg approaches from that sense of real care and concern about wanting to make sure that they're taken care of in their older years. And um, what their plan is for when they become um, disabled or incapacitated or can't take care of themselves and where where would they en- envision being cared for? Where What would they like? So having a conversation about um, painting a picture on what her parents actually want for themselves in those later years, it's related to money, but it's not saying, hey, how much money do you guys have set aside? For when you're older,
0: right, right. It sort of goes back to what you told Susan, which is that rather than coming to the meeting with all of your ideas and what you should do, start it off with what do you think and what are your plans, and get, engage them and enlist them to, you know, uh, offer some uh, of their own ideas, and then that way they'll just feel more. It's a psychological trick, which is why we have we have you on the show because there's so much of this is mm-hmm. really mental. And finally, speaking of family, and it is the holidays, we have a question from Leah. And she's concerned because her husband's family – so here's the situation. Her husband's family has not been getting together for Christmas in some six years. Everyone lives all over the country. It hasn't really been convenient. Uh, this year, though, they're finally considering getting the whole family together in a remote location. But it would require Leah and her husband to spend a lot of money. They're going to have to pay for airfare. They have a family of four, so that's a lot of money. They have to get a hotel room. They have to rent a car. She says that they just don't have the budget for this expense, and they want to know if they should make the trip happen or they should focus on paying off the debt that they have and contributing towards their retirement And, you know, just to put things in context, they think that it's going to cost him about $3,000 to make this trip happen. Not sure how much her debt is. I assume it's serious. And I assume that they don't have a lot say for retirement. But like, so clearly, rationally, they shouldn't go on this trip. But it's the holidays. Emotions are running high. They haven't seen each other in six years. Is there any way to make a compromise?
1: Yeah. So if it helps, Leah, we you and I can agree that no, they can't go on the trip as, as their <laughs> yeah. financial coaches, if you will. Right. So they can report to their family that, you know, Farnoosh and Dr. Brandt Blame us. Me, so we can't. Right, so that'll save you a little bit of some of that guilt. But I mean, it, there really is that strong biological desire for us to be close to people we love, especially during these holiday seasons. Um, and you know, one thing that just really stood out in my head is is hearing about a remote location because that sounded expensive to me as soon as you said that. I don't know what remote location means, um, but I think it would be a, what would make it ease the pain of not going this year would be coming up with a plan for next year that everyone across the family system can start saving for and perhaps in a location that isn't quite as remote, that wouldn't be quite as expensive. Uh, But I think that that would probably be the way to ease the pain and also get some of that need met because obviously being close to people we love is, is a real big benefit to our family and our psychological health.
0: Yes, I agree. And I think that the holidays, not only are emotions running high, but prices are running high. So everything you want to do around this time of year, travel, hotel, likely going to be at a premium compared to doing it in January, February, and later on in the year when it's not a holiday. So if uh, there are, and I'm sure you're not a lonely, I'm sure there's going to be other family members who are also feeling the pinch, though, Maybe they're shy and they don't want to say anything, but I always say be the brave one and propose alternative dates or say, you know, we can't make it, but we're, you know, we'd love to host everybody at our place. By the way, you know, I feel like everything comes crashing at the holidays. Like it's important for families to stay in touch throughout the year. So there isn't this desperate need to like see each other one time a year at this only time of year. You know, you can with now Skype and all sorts of, WhatsApp and all those other free forms of communication. You can do calls with all your family. And I actually just met a a guy who has six brothers and sisters. And every month they do one hour of catch up through Skype, video Skype. And it's chaos. The kids are running around in the background and, you know, but it is a way for all of them to see each other, to hear each other, to catch up and not feel like. Months go by, uh, years go by, and they haven't, um, they haven't properly communicated. So having that as well, I think, will prevent the family in the future from feeling like they have to do this all or nothing trip.
1: Carnage, I, I it, totally yeah. agree. Um, you know, it's it's that it, typically when we're getting off our budget overspending, it's it's an emotional need that's that's really important. And so, how can you find a way to get that need met at at a at a lower expense or with something that you can afford?
0: Great. Well, so Leah, blame us and we hope that you'll still get to see your family at some point in the new year. And speaking of the holidays, let's now transition to some really important advice around the holidays regarding our financial identity. Brad, you and I, as I mentioned, are currently working on behalf of Chase to share our personal finance and fraud education expertise with Everybody. And so the first question that we want to tackle is about how to prevent ourselves from online fraud. So, online shopping has made it, on the one hand, really convenient, right? We can get a lot of our purchases done through the holidays last minute. And I actually saw some research from the NRF, which is the National Retail Federation, that showed that 56% of consumers are going to be completing their holiday shopping via the web and also probably using their phones. So this is kind of the MO now for shopping and especially around the holidays. How can we prevent ourselves from fraud online, Brad?
1: Well, you know, certainly many of us are doing it as we speak, probably shopping online. I mean, many of us are doing it. It's made our lives so much easier. It's it's so much more convenient. And at the same time, there are additional risks and we can get a little bit lackadaisical when it comes to what we're doing with our online shopping. So number one is shop at merchants that you know, that you're familiar with. And you also have to make sure that they have secure websites. And I, I always say that the S is for secure. So websites begin with A. HTTP. And you want to make sure that you're shopping on a site that has an S. So it's HTTPS because that adds that highest level of security you can get with um, website shopping. And and again, even if it's a great sale and it's so tempting, um, make sure it's a merchant that you know and that you trust. Uh, Another thing that we have a tendency to make a mistake on because, again, we were looking for convenience and our brains are sort of hardwired to take shortcuts to save energy. So it's real tempting to use the same password repeatedly at different merchants. Um, And it's really important to give different passwords, because if a hacker was able to get in there and take your password at one merchant, they could go to other merchants and and use it there. Another thing that's really tempting, very convenient, we have to remind ourselves consistently to not pay for things on public Wi-Fi. Um, We're standing in line at the coffee shop, checking out, or we're perhaps comparison shopping in a store, um, looking online. So what I think is really important and, and a great tool is to bookmark it if you want to buy it, but make sure you get to a safe, secured, password-enabled Wi-Fi location before you start sticking in your personal data. Um, the other thing that happens, and this is happening at, at my house as we speak, is we have packages coming in um, and boxes. And these packages and boxes very often will have receipts. They'll have your personal information on it, your name, your address. And um, it, we can get a little bit lazy. It's really important, though, to rip those that identifying information off before you um, are recycling and shred it. Uh, so just some tips that are, are easy, but we, we forget about doing it. And especially with online shopping, which makes our lives so much more convenient.
0: You're right about that. You know, shredding those receipts when they come in the packages because usually there's like bubble wrap and tissue paper and plastic and sometimes they throw in some catalogs. You forget that your receipt's in that box and you send it down to your local trash or in my apartment, we have a trash collection area and you're right, it could get in the wrong hands. Uh, And so- be mindful of that. The other thing I would say is that your first tip about shopping at merchants that you're familiar with—absolutely, yes. Look for the S in the HTTPS at the top of the search en- of the search bar. I would also say if you're not really familiar with the site and it kind of doesn't look as you know sophisticated as the sites that you've always shopped at, the the big sites, do look for a contact phone number. Call them. Talk to someone. Feel them out. Make sure there's like an address. Um, maybe also do an online search for the name of that merchant to see if there have been any complaints. Look at the Better Business Bureau. I think it's you can never be too sure, especially in this day and age when it comes to websites. Anyone can make a website (laughs) these days, right? Anyone can collect money online. So you have to be extremely careful. What about those more traditional consumers who don't shop in stores? I like to support small businesses. So I like to shop in my neighborhood in Brooklyn and get something that's from the neighborhood and bring it to my family in Pennsylvania. In those cases, there is also the likelihood of fraud. So are you right now, Brad, using your chip versus um, swiping? Because I know that's one way to really prevent some kind of fraud in stores is using the chip-enabled EMB card.
1: Yes, you know, I do. And um, I'd say about half the uh, merchants and retailers that I shop at are are using that now um, inside the store. So I use it whenever I can. And sometimes they'll give you an option. So make sure to use that chip-enabled EMV card when you have the option because it it's this added layer of security where, where a unique code is generated for every purchase. And if you're using that magnetic strip, that data could be um, hijacked and it could be used and transferred to another card to make multiple purchases. That can't happen when you're using that chip-enabled EMV card because it is only for that that purchase, and then a new code is generated for the next purchase.
0: Right. So the kind of fraud that this ultimately protects you against or helps to protect you against is the duplication fraud. It's more likely that they'll catch whoever is trying to pretend that they're you using your card or at least the information from your card. It's very expensive, I guess, to uh, duplicate those chips and the information that's on those chips.
1: You know, another thing that comes to mind too, Farnoosh, is um, it's real tempting to use multiple cards when you're shopping, and it makes it so much harder to track what's happening. Um, And so ideally, you you perhaps would use one card for all your holiday shopping. That way you can track it. Yeah. Um, And if somebody accesses that information, it's you know, it's easier to catch because you can make sure to set up alerts and and track your spending related to that card.
0: Well, speaking of alerts, that's another really important uh, practice this time of year. If you aren't already signed up for fraud alerts from your bank or your credit card company, this is something that we can all do, regardless of whether we're shopping online or in stores. That to be proactive really is is. Very, very important. You don't want to wait to find out weeks later that your card has been hacked.
1: Right. And and that's where checking the statements frequently comes into play because some fraudsters will, you know, throw a small item on the card just to make sure it works, the account works. And so the faster and the more frequently you can check your spending habits. And that's why it's easier if you're targeting one card, um, you know, the the better off you're going to be. So when the dust settles, you don't find out that you've been hit really hard with all these expenses.
0: You know, one time I had... um, I have a Chase card and I hadn't even used it yet. I'd activated it and literally someone somehow got a hold of my credit card number and had made a purchase, an attempted purchase, and Chase called me right away. And I I, I didn't even think to check my statement because I didn't have a statement yet. (laughs) I just started to... I just had just signed my signature on the back of the card. It was – the ink was still was still wet. And they said, yeah, we 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 sensed that this could be of – they called because they said, you know, did you actually buy this necklace for a $1,000 on Long Island at this jewelry store? I said, nope, I'm in Brooklyn and thank you for letting me know. And they laughed and they said, yeah, we didn't think so. We're sending you a new card. And so that's why it's good to sign up for those fraud alerts because, you know, Uh, We're busy. Sometimes we don't catch these things. And sometimes it's not even, it it doesn't even hit the statement yet. Sometimes your bank will know even before it hits your statement. So thank you, Chase, for that.
1: So you bring up a good point about, um, you know, being in different locations because so many of us are traveling during the holidays. um, And so notifying your bank that you're going to be spending out of state will help also. And then making sure that you stop your mail. And this is where we can be forgetful because we're so eager to take our trip um, to a warmer place, perhaps. Uh, But make sure to stop your mail if you're going to be away for a long period of time. It's an added layer of security for you.
0: That's a great point. And I hope people are going someplace warm. There's all this new technology, right? And it just seems to be becoming more and more prevalent. We have fingerprint sign-ins, digital wallets, even selfie sign-ins are starting to gain popularity. And this is all very recent, all this new technology. Are all of these new features helpful, harmful when we're trying to protect ourselves against fraud? There have to be pros and cons. So how do we, How do we navigate all of this responsibly?
1: Right. So there really are advancements. Sometimes it's hard to keep up on it. They're happening so quickly now. Um, and they're all set up to really make things more convenient. So there is that benefit. Um, and, you know, for the most part, though, we have to treat these, uh, you know, a lot of these new passwords are um, based on biometrics, so they're much more secure than the numbers or the, the letters that we're using. So they're safer in that sense. Um, but we still have to be vigilant to them because there are ways that they can be um, taken from us and used. Um, so, for example, some of these involve fingerprints. And so making sure that you're using a particular finger for a bank app, um, not and and some actually uh, phones will and apps will store fingerprints and and these can be taken too. So being aware that we're not sharing access to those um, with our roommates, et cetera, uh, just to become more aware of that because some of that advanced technology can make us feel like, oh, I don't need to worry about it, um, but we have to stay just as vigilant as we would if we we're using a pin.
0: Yes. And speaking of your phone, if, all, if, you're used, if you're accessing all of these payment technologies through your phone, make sure that your phone also is password protected and that it's going to lock sooner than later. You know, sometimes we don't use the, the lock or the security password in some cases because it is inconvenient, you know, but it's, especially this time of year, make sure your phone is extra protected because that is, uh, you know, that's the master gate to all of this stuff. And then last but not least, what other tools have you found we can use to help with preventing fraud? Like, especially, you know, whether it has to do with our banks or any other apps and tools.
1: Um, You know, digital wallets are a real interesting new technology where you can um, use advanced payments. And then instead of transmitting the credit information, uh, the phone will generate a unique code um, to identify the device and to make transactions. So that's a really neat piece of technology. And if your phone is lost, you can then suspend it remotely, uh, which is very, very handy. You know, the other thing is that Chase actually lets you opt in on specific account alerts, and this is a real interesting feature. So you can get notified about things that are of particular interest to you that you want to track. And, of course, suspicious charges is is one that we should all be signing up for. Um, But you can get push notifications or texts when um, a purchase is charged like anytime a purchase is charged your account or when a payment is posted or you can get those push or text alerts related to the credit limit amount um, or when a payment's due uh, so those are really fabulous customized features that can um, give you constant Communication with with, with what's happening in our accounts.
0: Yeah, I mean, so much of this comes down to you being proactive and taking advantage and leveraging whatever the resources that can help you do that. For example, like you just mentioned, Chase has the um, the alert settings. Um, Hopefully, we do this now, and really don't stop doing it. I know this is a kind of high season. For potential fraud. But I think once we adopt a lot of these habits, now it'll just become second nature in the new year. And hopefully we won't have to, you know, deal with the aftermath of something, someone taking advantage of our finances, our credit cards, our bank accounts. Cause I've had it happen to me. Have you had it happen to you, Brad? It's painful
1: it really is. I mean, it feels like a, a violation. I mean, there's an emotional pain attached to it. And I think, um, using, you know, during the shopping season, we're spending about, you know, a third of what we spend during the year. So use it as an opportunity to set up some of these automated systems. Be, because as you know, Farnoosh, with your knowledge of, you know, psychology and money, uh, we have a tendency to go along with what we've already set up. That's why setting up things that are automated and, and using this time to motivate us to do that, it can pay dividends for the rest of the year.
0: Yes, good advice. And hey, good luck, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season, a safe holiday season. Brad Klontz, thank you so much for joining us. Let us know when you'll be you know, available to come back on again because we love having you on the show, answering these questions for us from our listeners. And um, tell us where's the best place to find you. Um,
1: probably on the web, um, yourmentalwealth.com. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, on Twitter, Dr. Brad Klaus.
0: All right, we'll be following you. Thanks so much. And everybody, hope your weekend is so money.